Well, it is not easy to say goodbye. And yet I'm sure you have found, as I have, that goodbyes are a reality in life. There are some goodbyes that are final and crushing. But there are other goodbyes that are transitional and exhilarating. I hope that you will share with me the belief that the goodbye that we're going through in the next month or so is the latter kind of goodbye. It is important for you to know, to understand, and to believe with all of your heart that Jeanette and I are making this transition because we believe with all of our hearts that it is the will of God. That it is the will of God not only for our lives, but that it's the will of God for Grace Church Roseville as well. I believe that God has been preparing us, I mean all of us, for this change. Although the decision came suddenly to most of you, this has not been a hasty decision on our part. It is one that's been in the making for some time. The most important thing in the world is to be in the center of God's will, isn't it? I remember as a young man, I remember as a younger man, let's say it that way, coming to discover that God had designed me for a purpose in this world and had a plan for me. Do you remember when you found that out about yourself? That as his child, you weren't just a number, you weren't just somebody else, you weren't just another one. You were a special person in his eyes. And he chose you and designed you and fashioned you for a special purpose and a plan that he is fulfilling. To me, that's all that counts in the end, is following that track and experiencing this great adventure of God's will for our lives. In this transition that we're undergoing, I'd like for us to follow the example that Jesus set for us. And to find out about that, would you open your Bible, please, with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That means to the uttermost. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to depart. Not just from Minnesota to California, which is a big enough transition. But here is a transition out of this world back to the Father's presence. This is truly the big transition. This is a greater transition than any of us can possibly imagine. Out of this world, back to heaven, to the Father's presence. Jesus knew that the time had come, and certainly he had been preparing his disciples for this over a period of three years since they had walked with him. But now on this last night, that he is with them. On this night, as he gathers with them in the upper room and then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, on this night, Jesus does a number of things to help them with the transition. 
Jesus lived for his Father's will, just as I hope you and I live every day. He said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What a tremendous model for us that we should not seek our own will, our own desires in life, but that we should seek the Father's will. Because even though it may mean pain for us and suffering for us, as it did in Jesus' case in a way beyond our ability to imagine, nonetheless, the Father's will is the very best. There's absolutely nothing that could surpass the Father's will. And so let us, with all of our hearts, seek the Father's will, even when that may include some pain for us in the process of it. Jesus knew that his hour had come, and of course, that means the cross. Throughout the Gospel of John, he kept saying his hour had not come. His hour had not come. Now, he says, my hour has come. He knows that the cross is at hand. And he announces to his disciples the big transition. He states it fairly clearly in verse 33 of this chapter. When he, he calls them little children, he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, I say to you now also, where I am going, you cannot come. I'm not saying that, by the way, about California. I just want to understand that. You're, you're welcome to come and visit us. But of course, Jesus' comment was a particular comment to his beloved disciples, and he is saying to them, I'm going away. And you cannot come right now where I'm going. And that statement kicks off a whole series of uh, exchanges between himself and his disciples. Because they realized now, for sure, that change was in the air. The big transition was about to happen. And so Jesus prepared his disciples for his leaving by giving them some reminders. It is these reminders I would like for us to think about today. And I, obviously, I'm not going to preach everything that's in John 13 through 17. But we are going to just look at this body of Scripture, this very significant collection of, of words and, and statements and conversations, and pull from here the reminders that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was about to leave them. First of all, Jesus wanted them to be reminded that some things never change. Some things never change. One of those things was his love for them. He mentioned that, or at least John mentioned it already in verse 1 when it says he loved them to the uttermost. But look here at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus wanted his men to know that though he was leaving them, it did not mean that he ceased loving them. 
his love would continue. And he wanted them to emulate his love to one another. I want you to know that as we leave Grace Church Roseville, our love for you also is unchanging. We have loved you. We do love you. And we will continue loving you, although we will live elsewhere. A piece of our lives, you see, is here, invested here. For the good or the ill, it's here. A piece of our hearts resides here in Grace Church Roseville. We will always be interested in knowing what God continues to do here. We will always want to know about your continued welfare and the things of God and how you are progressing in, in your vision for serving God and your love for God because we continue to love you too. Jesus wanted his disciples also to know that his example for them and to them would never change. On this evening, Jesus did something very special, as you know. In the first part of this chapter, it tells us about how he washed the disciples' feet. <laughs> he put around himself the towel of a servant. <clears throat> and when he, though he was the host of this meal, had gathered them together, he took the place of the one who would normally wash their feet for this time of eating dinner together. And it says in verse 15, Jesus' words, well, let's back up, verse 14. He says, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, there are some denominations that take this so strongly that they include as one of the ordinances the washing of feet. They have communion and baptism and the washing of feet because of what Jesus says here. My own conviction about this is that Jesus was not putting in place an ordinance, but he was saying to his followers, look, I have lived an example before you, and tonight I've culminated it being a servant to you, washing your feet. Now that example remains. It is there for you to follow in the years ahead, to serve one another to lovingly serve one another with humility. My example to you also continues. That doesn't change. I wish that I could say my example were always good. I know that's not the case. There have been times when I have failed. One of the things that delights me, though, about leaving a church and then experiencing a time break is that people tend to forget your failures. So I'm excited about that. And I encourage you along those lines, forget my failures, <laughs> which are many. But in whatever way, God has allowed me to live out an example of Christ to you. I hope that will remain. That you will keep it before you in the years ahead and that you will deeply desire to serve one another in love as our Lord gave us his own example. Some things never change. Jesus' love for them would not change. 
His example would not change. It was established. It was set for them. Thirdly, his prayer for them would not change. To see this, we go to chapter 17, which is the Lord's Prayer. As you know, the real Lord's Prayer. Here Jesus offers up intercession for his own. And just ever so briefly, notice that he prays in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in thy name. That is, guard them. Keep them in thy name. He says in verse 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name. But now he says to the Father, You keep them. I'm leaving them. Father, you keep them. You guard them. In verse 17, Jesus prays, Sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. That is, set them apart, Father, for your holy and good purposes. In verse 21, he prays that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. So here Jesus prays, Father, unify them. Bring them together as one. Just as you and I, Father, are one, so may they experience oneness. And out of that unity, let the world know that I came from you. And then in verse 24, we have a fourth petition of our Lord. And by the way, he's praying this not only for them, but for us. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory that thou hast given me. And so Jesus prays that we all may one day be with him in glory. Now, question. Will the Father ever deny his perfect Son a request? Absolutely not. Everything that Jesus prays for here will ultimately be fulfilled. And the Lord Jesus, as you know, made the big transition, went back to heaven, and now today is in that role of our, as being our high priest. So he literally continues to pray for us along these same lines before the Father all the time. You see, some things never change. And one of the things that will never change is the fact that you will be in our prayers. You will be in our hearts as we go before God, our Father. And we will be praying for you. And we ask for your prayers as we enter into this transition and move our family and go through all that that means. And many of you, all of you, really know what is entailed in that. And as then we get established in a, a new setting of ministry, we dearly need your prayers and ask you for them, that we might pray for one another. And in that way, we share yet in ministry, don't we? Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the big transition was coming. He's going away. But there are some things that never change. But Jesus also wanted them to know that night that some things must change. Some things must change. In chapter 14, as we number the text, verses 12 
through 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, which is a way of saying, listen to what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is really, really important. He who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wonderful prayer promises. Jesus says here, I must go away, because something needs to change. He says, I need to go away so that you then can pray in my name. When I go away, I'm going to authorize you to use my name in prayer. And so when you pray, however many of you there are, be there 12 or there be 12 million in the world, as you pray through me, through my name, I will work. And so because of the scope of what you will do in the years ahead, men, you will do greater works than I've done. Because I will not just be working through me and my human body. He is saying, I am going to be working through you in answered prayer. And so some things must change. In order for the gospel to be declared to the whole world, Jesus said, I have to go away. This has to change so that I can do greater works through you. Secondly, Jesus says that he must leave them physically. Chapter 16, verse 7, for a very particular reason. Chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The Helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, this must change. I need to go away, because in going away, that will allow me to send the Holy Spirit to live in each one of you. And if I don't go away, he can't come. So this must change. It's for your advantage so that the Spirit can come. Some things must change in transition. And there are some things that need to change in our transition. For example, it means that I will not be able to do funerals and weddings and share in those kinds of special occasions with you. It doesn't mean that somebody won't be here to do them, because there will be. But it is not wise for a pastor who's departed to come back and to do those kinds of things. It is important for you as a body of people to focus on your new pastor that God will bring, and to allow him the privilege of ministering to you in those very wonderful and personal and family kinds of way. And so that's one change that, that must take place in the transition. As difficult, frankly, as it will be for me, 
and uh, maybe as difficult it was it would be for you because you would like to have us here that must change likewise uh, i'm not going to be involved in the search process do i care about the next pastor who comes you bet i do or in good minnesota language you betcha i do i don't want an usda down the road nor do you i do care but again, it's unwise for a former pastor to get involved in those kinds of things. So please honor me in this and don't call and say, well, what do you think about this or how about that? Because that really puts me in a very difficult position. And I wouldn't want to offend you, but I won't answer those kinds of questions because I cannot get involved in the process that must take place here for your good, for your advantage. And so there are some things that must change. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that too. And then Jesus wanted his disciples to know that there are some things that accompany change. There are some things that never change. There are some things that must change. But there are some things also that accompany change. For example, normal human emotions. They accompany change. We are human beings who have emotions. God made us that way. And so when you hear the news that the pastor is leaving, going to another church, uh, there's a whole range of emotions possible. There are probably some who are surprised that another church would ever want me. <laughs> there are probably some of you who are joyous and say, thank God, you know, for whatever reason. But I recognize that broadly in the church, there is the emotion of grief. In fact, as I've done some research in this whole matter, I've found that grief is the number one emotion that churches feel when there is uh, this kind of transition. Uh, because you're losing someone, as we are losing someones, there is grief involved in this. And grief has a number of stages. There's the shock stage, which some of you still may be in. There is the anger stage, which I hope none of you are in. But I recognize that that's a reality. There is the stage when you try to bargain, say, well, now, what can we do? Uh, you know, something should change, or can we do anything about it? No, you can't. But, but you go through those feelings, what can we do? And then there's depression sometimes that sets in. And then finally, there's acceptance, and you go on. Now, that, that kind of a cycle takes place, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of a senior pastor. That's just part of grieving. We go through that kind of a cycle. The second most common reaction when a pastor leaves is that of fear. Tim transparently mentioned that this morning in the time when he shared with you. Uh, fear is normal. People are afraid of what may take place or may not take place, of the uncertainty of everything. And it's interesting as you look through these chapters of John, you see those same kinds of emotions coming out from Peter and Thomas and Philip and Judas, not Iscariot, who all interacted with Jesus, and they're named here and their human emotions are coming out as Jesus tells them that he's leaving. 
So that's why I say that Jesus is showing all of us here in this text that there are some things that accompany change, and one of them are the normal human emotions that all of us have. But I hope that there will come a point uh, today, tomorrow, next month, whenever God brings you there, that you will see this change as positive. Please, don't feel that if you begin to see this change as positive, somehow that's a mark against me. That somehow you have dishonored me. Because that is not the case. In fact, one of the finest things you could do to honor me is to allow God to bring you to that place where you see this change as really a good thing for us as well as for you. Because I have never sought to build this church on me. I have labored to build this church upon the Lord Jesus. And he is remaining with you. And it's important for you to see that he is in this change, and he is not in it for your ill. He is in it for your good. Now, your emotions may take a while to catch up to that, as I say, but please, let God bring you there. In his time, in your time, let God bring you to that point. Normal human emotions accompany change, but also ongoing responsibilities accompany change. For the apostles, it meant taking the leadership of the church that was just forming here. The apostles are here being positioned by Jesus so that once he has gone back to the Father, once this big transition has been made, they would be able to carry on the work he was committing to them. It is important for you to understand that in this time of change, responsibilities go on. I want to beg of you, to beseech you in the name of Christ, that you not forsake your commitments to Grace Church Roseville. That you not turn away from being a supporter and encourager of this ministry. Because this is the work of the Lord. This work must go on for his glory. And your commitment, your continuing commitment, the fulfilling of your ongoing responsibilities is just vital to that. In a way, what you're about to experience will be a trial, a trial that will become the measurement of your and this church's spiritual maturity. Really, it's going to be a measurement. The tape measure is going to get out now, and God's going to see just how mature this church really is, how mature you really are in the way that we go on from here. And so I urge you to continue with the ongoing responsibilities that you've accepted. And if you've not gotten plugged in and not gotten involved, this is the time to do it. There's a human tendency to say, well, now I think I'll just wait and see who the guy is that comes in next. Wrong response. This is the time to say, this church is God's work. It needs me. God needs me. God has a place for me here. And to find out what you need to do to get involved. I'll tell you what else goes on. A new community. A new community was going to be born out of this transition. 
Jesus gives the highest value of all to this community. He says, love one another. It is the powerful bonding agent. Notice in verse 17 of chapter 15, where it says just succinctly, this command, I, this I command you, that you love one another. This now would be an opportunity for the disciples to stop the bickering that sometimes went on, as you know, as they kind of jostled for place and, and uh, acted like all of us. This was now an opportunity for them to pull together and to lay aside who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who was going to sit next to the Lord on the throne and so on. Those are unimportant issues. They were to love one another. They were to come together as a new community with this powerful bonding agent of love. And so that is important in the upcoming change. This needs to accompany the transition in the coming months that you really pull together and love one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Something else that accompanies transition that Jesus points out is problems. Verse 18 goes right on to say, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He just said, you love one another. If the world hates you, you see how he does that? Because you see, in the midst of this loving community, there's going to be problems. The world is going to hate you. Persecution, he says, is going to come from the world. And you can expect that there will be challenges to your love. There may be people in other churches who will say things that you won't like. There may be things that you will hear within this church that you don't appreciate people saying. Or things may be done that you won't understand and you won't Listen, in those kinds of times, just remember, Jesus told us that in this new community he's forming, there are going to be problems. They'll come from the outside. They'll come from the inside. Even this very night, Judas went out, as you know. So when change comes, expect that there will be problems. Don't let them surprise you. But we have a wonderful word from our Lord. There's something else that accompanies change in verse 33 of chapter 16. He says, I've spoken these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And so here's what else accompanies transition, the peace of Christ, if you let it. You can experience the peace of God. Despite the problems and the pressures, despite the human emotions that erupt from time to time, Jesus says, I give you my peace. And in this upcoming transition, you can experience the peace of God. That peace of God doesn't mean that there won't be any problems. It simply means that you will have the abiding assurance that God is in control. And so that whatever you hear, whatever you experience, whatever you feel, you can just stop and look up to the Lord and say, Lord, you're still on the throne. I trust you. And his peace will just flood your hearts. There are other things that accompany change, but let me stop at that point and just say this as kind of a summation. 
A change and transition are a part of life, a natural part of it. And change is a natural development in the relationship between a church and its pastor. Although I have been here more than 18 years and am not only a long-term pastor, but one of those uh, formidable animals called a founding pastor, uh, and I've been here longer than anybody else just because of that. And so, therefore, some people think change doesn't ever take place. You need to understand this is normal. This is normal. All churches go through this. I was talking to someone this morning. He said, well, yeah, I was with, in First Baptist with Dr. W.B. Riley, and he was there till he died. <clears throat> but he did die. There are probably two or three people down there that haven't discovered that yet, but he did die, you know. Change happens. Change is real. It's a part of life. There are transitions. And you and I have the choice in the midst of the transition to either get all nervous and anxious or just to sit back on the promises of God and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I'm hurting. Uh, Lord, I have uncertainties. Lord, I don't like what's happening. It doesn't feel good to me. I don't know what the future holds, but Lord, I am trusting you. And that's where I want to leave us this morning. I have some more things to say over the next three weeks. I hope you'll come and listen. But just for this morning, let's stop at this point and recommit ourselves and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you in the big transition ahead. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that today, as all of us stand on the verge of change, and as we anticipate what the future may hold, that you will keep reminding us that there are some things that accompany change. It's inevitable. And there are some things that must change but there are some things that never change. And overarching all of that is yourself. You do not change. And with the coming and the going of your shepherds, as well as your sheep, you remain. And so today we say to you as a congregation, we trust you. We trust you in this change. And we commit ourselves to it with gladness of heart, though perhaps with a tear in the eye, nonetheless a gladness of heart that you are at work. And we pray that you will keep working in us and through us until that day that we all experience the big transition when we're brought home to glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.